thanks to Andrew and Alex for hosting us, and thanks for the invitation me to speak here about the Indian case of biometric identity. Um, and I'll, I'll begin by talking about my training, which is primarily in media studies, and I've come to the Department of Contemporary History as a deacon as a postdoc fellow. And I'm conducting research on um, issues of identification, recognition, and social justice in the context of uh, India's biometric identity program. So just an overview of this program and the debate around privacy that this program has brought about in Indian society. Uh, so I'll go through, I'll provide an overview of the Aadhaar debate and then I'll raise some issues where policy and history intersect. So Aadhaar was launched in 2009 uh, by the United Progressive Alliance government, which, is, which was headed by a Congress party. And it was implemented with a view to provide a unique identification to the socioeconomically marginalized populations who were seen to be and understood to be at a loss uh, for receiving benefits, welfare benefits provided by the government because of corruption and because of middlemen who would eat up the benefits in the delivery of welfare. Uh, it's a 12-digit random number, so it has, as such, that's, a, that's kind of an inbuilt privacy measure, which that it doesn't reveal anything, it's just a random number. And it's based on biometrics, which is finger, fingerprints, iris scan, and now they're also incorporating facial recognition. Um, and it has about 90% uh, of the Indian adult population covered under the program. And um, how it works is, is that there's a centralized biometric database, which is called uh, Central Identity uh, Repository, a database repository. And uh, when an individual authenticates using their biometrics, that is fingerprints, uh, it pings the database and uh, returns the verification, a, mi a mismatch or a match with biometrics. So uh, essentially, the service databases of various subsidies, for example, there's a National Rural Employment Guarantee Act in India, which guarantees uh, employment for 100 days to poor populations. Uh, if benefits are being received under that uh, scheme, then the individual would try and authenticate using the fingerprints. And there's some debate around whether fingerprints are absolutely accurate uh, or are they fallible. Uh, so, over a nine-year period from 2009 to 2018, uh, there was a big debate around data privacy and privacy as a cultural and social question in India. And it's ironic because uh, in most societies, Western societies in particular, the language of privacy is very pervasive. It's kind of everyday, it's, it finds a place in everyday discourse. Whereas in India, privacy, historically, the concept of privacy is very fuzzy. And it's the, actually the question of data privacy that's brought about uh, concerns with privacy as a general idea. So that's an interesting kind of uh, thing that it comes along with the, uh, the proliferation of digital technology and uh, this idea of data sharing, which is a global thing. So it was government, uh, 
as the government started linking the Aadhaar, which is the biometric identity card, with various service databases, um, act, they also started to then link it, uh, propose li uh, mandatory linkage to bank accounts and to for filing taxes and also uh, mobile phone connections. The reasoning was they wanted to prevent uh, corruption, black money, tax evasion, and also terrorism because uh, a lot of the, um, you know, SIMs are used by terrorists in, in order to conduct certain kinds of strikes. So they wanted absolute identification of the citizens so that uh, everything is transparent in a way. But civil society and pro-privacy activists were of the view that this would lead to a surveillance state in India. And uh, the first, um, so there's a, before I talk about the surveillance state, there's a principle of op interoperability of databases that when all the service databases, not just of welfare subsidies, but also banking and mobile phone connections, is linked to the centralized um, biometric database, it would provide an objective view of a social profile of the person. So that was the biggest concern. And I think my thesis is that uh, this concern, because mandatory linking was pushed by the ruling party, uh, which is the NDA, National Democratic Alliance, headed by the BJP, the right-wing party, and I think uh, the leftist kind of civil society groups didn't really trust the ruling government with uh, the security of uh, biometric data. And th their intention was seen as particularly suspect uh, in pushing for this mandatory linking. So there was greater opposition uh, to uh, Aadhaar's mandatory linkage to various uh, databases. 2012 was the first challenge filed in the Indian Supreme Court by a retired judge in Karnataka uh, who basically says that the Aadhaar program as it's being implemented uh, undermines individuals' privacy, security, and dignity, data, uh, undermines data security. And there were a string of petitions that followed in the Supreme Court challenging various aspects of the Aadhaar scheme as it was being implemented on the ground. Some of the issues pertain to failure of biometrics, that they were not entirely reliable means of verification. So when biometrics failed, the individual was denied benefits. And in some cases, it led to the actual death of uh, beneficiaries who were not given rations or who were not given other benefits. Uh, and this is also a context where data protection regulation in India is uh, non-existent. Existent. There's only one uh, main law, which was um, which was uh, which came about in 2000, which is the Information Technology Act of 2000, which was amended again in 2011. But that's the only law. There's no specific law dealing with uh, the transfer of sensitive personal data. Uh, so. The, I, the privacy debate uh, unfolded in a manner that, uh, you know, the government started saying that privacy can be subordinated to the cause of broader, larger social good, which is the rights of the poor. But uh, the pro-privacy activists were saying that privacy is absolutely important for the healthy functioning of democracy and it's the right afforded to citizens. So there was this... Uh, to and, forth, uh, to and fro between the government and the activists. Uh, so what happened was that um, 
one of the attorney generals of India at the time, Mukul Rothagi, claimed that privacy was a vague idea. It didn't find a place as a fundamental right in the Indian Constitution. And it's also an elite concern. That is, the poor don't care, care about privacy. They care about benefits. So the court decided to defer the question of privacy to a larger bench. And in 2017, um, a nine judge bench in the Indian Supreme Court delivered the landmark decision of privacy, claiming that privacy was indeed a fundamental right, but subject to certain limitations uh, which were uh, pertaining to national interest and uh, national security matters. Um, so I'll just skip over this. Um, so the, these are the arguments that were made in the court. Um, in 2018, this year, uh, in, on September 26, the Indian Supreme Court decided to uphold the constitutional validity of Aadhaar, saying that it's, it's valid for the government to push for mandatory linkage of Aadhaar with welfare benefits, but not for mobile phones or, um, or uh, bank accounts. But then again, it said that filing taxes, you need to have your Aadhaar. So, it excluded middle classes from the burden of uh, having to link their Aadhaar with their mobile phones and banks, while the poor uh, were again burdened with the uh, uh, need to ver verify their identity biometrically. So I'm, I'm, instead of saying the poor, I'm using the term welfare dependent, who, on whom the burden of verification is the greatest in India, which is not the same for middle classes. So there are certain tensions that have developed in the broader discourse that I've sort of try and tried to summarize. One is that data privacy is a global concern. It's a, a concern in every context. In, in fact, in Australia, a law was just passed to um, break the encryption of messages when they're, they're sent from one person to another. They're encrypted. So the government can now break the encryption and have access to messages in the name of um, fighting terrorism. So it's a global concern, but again, every culture has its own sort of norms around privacy and what it values. Um, another statement is that privacy matters to everyone alike. Um, but again, the role of class cannot be denied in an experience of privacy. So the way poor understand and think of privacy, the way they experience privacy is very different from uh, privacy as, as it's experienced by the more privileged. And this is very obvious in the case of spatial privacy because uh, historically, again, this is true that spatial privacy has not been available to the marginalized sections of Indian society. It's, privacy is often defended with great passion. Everyone says they care about privacy, but then when it comes to downloading apps and checking terms and conditions, we just um, do not read them. And it's, it, there's a study called Privacy Fatigue, which talks about how no one reads these lengthy uh, t terms and condition, conditions, and we just move on to uh, using whatever the application is or whatever we're doing online. So even though we defend it in theory, we don't really practice actively um, and again, after, G uh, after the GDPR, European GDPR, there's been, uh, we've all been getting notifications about uh, we use cookies and the only option is to accept the cookies or not use the website. So there are these uh, tensions that have developed in the discourse. 
There's also a simultaneous desire for legibility and visibility of identity. We want to be visible on Twitter and social media. At the same time, we don't want to, we also want to have control over our data. So I think this is a kind of a paradox which I have called anxieties of recognition. We want to be recognized, but then we also want to sort of hold our data. And we, I, I feel that we don't quite know what it means to have control over our data. So that's a question of ongoing research. So I propose that privacy needs to be studied not only as a question of technological design, uh, social and cultural practice, legal value, but also as a historical idea that can inform uh, policy making. Uh, there have been two studies, uh, two prominent studies in India around uh, the importance of privacy. One is privacy on the line. The other is the identities report by the Omidyar group, which is a group of global change makers. Um, and I, I think privacy can only be studied in an interdisciplinary way. Um, I'll quickly skip to the data protection regulations in India in the interest of time. Uh, the regulation is still evolving. And uh, there's an expert committee headed by uh, Justice Sri Krishna that really, who released a, their report in 2018. And it frames data protection as a matter of not just protecting individual right to privacy, but also the, for the need to, also recognizing the need to grow a free and fair digital economy. So privacy is resituated within that broader framework of digital economy that the committee is so cognizant of. Um, so these, th these are some of the statements made by the committee. Um, and it envisages um, digital rights in India, and it uses the term data principles and data fiduciaries uh, to describe the relationship between people who share data are the data principles, and people who are given the, given the data have the responsibility to safeguard it, and they are data fiduciaries. And it's a relationship of trust again, and it defines these um, rights in, uh, in terms of autonomy and informational self-determination. Uh, but then it also says that individual freedom to pri freedoms and privacy may be subordinated to collective values of social good, uh, which is again defined in terms of the need for growing the digital economy in India. <coughs> These are the specific rights. Uh, there's the right to access confirmation and correction of data. Uh, which is that a data principle can uh, exercise these rights, but there's a barrier, which is that they might have to pay a fee to exercise these rights. Again, there's also a question of agency, who's able to exercise the right and awareness. Uh, most people wouldn't really be aware. Again, this is not the final bill. It's, it's what's being proposed at the moment. Um, the other right is uh, right to objection, restriction, and portability of data. If you want to obtain your data from someone, then um, you have that right. And the most, uh, I think, the most interesting right is the right to be forgotten, which has been taken from EU. So um, again, right to be forgotten is seen as a ma matter of balancing that right with the right to free speech. If you delete information from the digital sphere, then someone else's free speech right, someone else's need for information is being compromised. So I think these are the policy questions. Uh, which is that um, what is the agency of individual individuals to negotiate and exercise these rights? Um, 
what are the practices around data sharing? How do we um, adapt the law to take into account the practices of data sharing and recognition? As much as it's important to be forgotten, if some of us feel that we need to be forgotten from the digital sphere, it's, we also need to take into account recognition specifically for those on whom the burden of identity verification is the greatest. And I'll conclude with some history questions. Um, there's a need to study privacy as a historical, cultural, uh, and economic idea. And then we might study his privacy in a con comparative context of within the non-West, what, what are different understandings of privacy within the non-West. And then there are converging histories of data protection rules, which are again evolving around the world. So the Indian case borrows heavily from the GDPR. So the, I, I call these converging histories of data protection, which are still emerging, uh, and will continue to do so over the course of uh, this century, I suppose. Okay, I'll leave it at that, and if there are questions, maybe we can get to those later. Thank you.